0: Chuck, let's go over the Stuff You Should Know concert calendar.
1: (laughs) My friend, we are hitting the road for the Spring Has Sprung Tour. We are going to be at the Neptune Theater in lovely Seattle, Washington on April 8th, my friend. The next day, we're going to head south to Portland, Oregon at Revolution Hall, Mm -hmm. April 9th. We are going to Houston, Texas, my friend. Nice. Uh, Warehouse Live on May 28th, Memorial Day weekend. And finally, finishing up, Denver, Colorado at the Gothic Theater on May 29th. Two more dates coming.
0: Yeah, keep your ears out, and in the meantime, if you want to get tickets, you can go to SYSKlive.com, powered by Squarespace, and we'll see you guys on the road.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, there's Jerry, and this is Stuff You Should Know. there's so many things I could do right now I could sing the My Buddy theme song uh huh could sing the theme song to Thundar the Barbarian okay uh I could talk about Topps baseball cards 1986
1: yeah and that rock hard stick gum that that came with it yeah yeah Yeah. um I don't even think they have gum in baseball cards anymore do they (laughs) I think they just
0: gave up the ghost they're like no one wants this nobody wants it it took out some kid's eye and that was that
1: yeah uh Yeah, nostalgia. So I think we should dedicate this show to John Hodgman.
0: Let's. I thought we kind of implicitly dedicated every show to Hodgman.
1: (laughs) Well, we do. Why
0: explicitly this time?
1: Well, Hodgman is is on record time and time again Mm -hmm. with the following quote. Okay. Nostalgia is the most toxic impulse.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah, that's he doesn't like a Christmas story, does he?
1: I don't think he's seen a Christmas story, but he uh he is very adamant and has been on record many, many times on his own podcast Judge John Hodgman okay. and to me in person mm-hmm. when he wants to go on about how much he hates nostalgia, mm-hmm. about how bad it is and in his deal and I'm going to mention him quite a bit in here. So he's either going to listen to this and be like, "Oh my god, it's about nostalgia." and these are my friends, or he's going to skip it all together. I could see him skipping it all together. Because he doesn't want to hear about it.
0: We maybe should clue him in and be like, Hodgman, you're in this. (laughs) He'll listen to it a million times if we tell him that.
1: So his notion is that uh, it's a longing for a better time that does not exist. That we look back with rose-colored glasses, and it was not, in fact, better. Right. And that it's toxic to do so.
0: Right, and that's absolutely a correct Definition of nostalgia, well, but Hodges's idea falls apart at the end when he says that it's toxic, because quite the contrary, nostalgia has been proven again and again to be quite helpful.
1: Um, I don't even agree that that's the definition of nostalgia. I don't. I don't think it has to be longing for a time in your past, because for me, nostalgia is not longing for that. It is just very warm remembrances and wrapping myself up in that. Gotcha. Not man, I wish I could be 14 again. <laughs> you
0: don't wish you could be 14 again?
1: <laughs> no, not what at is all. What's wrong with you, Chuck? I wish I could be 26 again. Nostalgia. That's a pretty dope time in one's life.
0: Nostalgia. Uh,
1: but I don't. I don't look back and say, man. And I also take issue with you know sometimes things were better back then.
0: Yeah, but Hodgman makes a pretty good point, and so do the social scientists that support his point. Um, When basically by definition, when you are experiencing the emotion, this very complex, weird, understudied emotion of nostalgia, you're thinking about something in a way that it really kind of didn't actually happen. Like the negative stuff gets cut out, Um, you know, like uh, stepping on a rusty nail right after that great memory from camp or whatever uh, that part gets cut out, and I disagree just with the, that too. Just the good stuff. So, t- I'm talking about like the studies that support it.
1: Yeah, but they—they, they, I don't think these studies are right because it's subjective. It's very personal. Like, I can remember—well,
0: that's social science for you.
1: I can remember the smell of my grandparents' house, their first house, and how much I loved it. And that one summer, I went on my first plane trip, and I also remember biting my tongue off playing soccer, and how awful that was. Like, I don't edit that out and be like, no, everything about it was great. Like no, I bit my tongue off, and it was terrible.
0: Um, so okay, I think then what you're talking about is the difference between reminiscing, which is more of an episodic memory, and nostalgia, which is almost purely just an emotional memory. No, it's an emotional memory. All right. Well then, you, you you'll just have to say I believe you, Chuck. <laughs> I uh,
1: it hurts. I know it's hard. It burns. <laughs> I believe you, Chuck. All right, so let's go back in time a little bit. Um, There's a Swiss doctor named uh, Johannes Hoffer in 1688, uh, and he was studying some Swiss soldiers uh, that were stationed abroad, and he said, you know what? There's something going on here. They are depressed. They're anxious. They can't sleep. uh, They're tired. They're even having heart uh, palpitations and fever. Um, They're angry really easily, um, and they just can't stop thinking about their home. It is almost as if they are homesick. Right.
0: And so he coined the term. He coined the term um, nostalgia. nostalgia from Greek nostos, which means to return home. Yeah. And algos, or algos, pain. So the pain of yearning to return home Yeah, is he, what
1: he described. He literally said it's a cerebral disease of essentially demonic cause. Yeah. Uh, ideas of the fatherland, making them sick and longing for home. Uh, it's a no-brainer. It's like these guys are fighting a war and they'd rather be back home. Yeah, it sounds like he was
0: describing PTSD, though, as well. Yeah, maybe. Because when these attendant symptoms that he talked about, like not being able to sleep or eat and having fever and heart palpitations, that's not nostalgia. Yeah. But Johannes Hoffer did um, set the tone for nostalgia for centuries. So either it was viewed as a physical malady or disorder or disease or a psychological one, uh, up until basically the 1980s, to tell you the truth. Um, and at first, because of Hoffer's study of the Swiss soldiers, um, they actually thought that possibly it was just the Swiss who were afflicted by nostalgia. <laughs> and one of the other uh, alternative explanations for it was that the the constant clanging of cowbells had done something to the... Um, Nerves connecting the eardrum to the brain. That makes sense. And was basically driving these people crazy, wanting them to, making them want to go home.
1: Right. Or at least steal the cowbell. Right. Yeah. Get it off the neck.
0: (laughs) You want to hear something weird? Sure. So Hoffer also said that, um, the, the ideas of the fatherland that were vibrating in the, the soldiers' brains. Yeah. Um, he said that that was brought on by animal spirits. Yeah. And I read this yesterday. The same night I was reading an article by uh, Dr. Jack Kevorkian about human experimentation among the condemned and executed. Okay. Because that's what I do, right? He mentions animal spirits. Whoa. In the exact same way. So apparently there was a time when they thought that the, or they called what what we would now call the electricity in the central nervous system,
1: animal spirits. Right. It's one of those old terms.
0: Right. And uh, I ran across it twice in one day. Wow! Which is basically the bio, the Bader Meinhoff phenomenon. Right. I just thought that was so weird. I mean, like
1: yeah, and that's pretty obscure, you know. Very obscure. It's not like oh, I saw eleven eleven on the clock again today. Right. You know. Right. Those people. Animal spirits. Yeesh. All right. So uh, fast forward a little bit, uh, and we, like you said, for many many years, it was looked at as a mental illness called melancholia. Or immigrant psychosis. Uh,
0: yeah, that was another thing. They thought that just immigrant seamen, soldiers, and kids who went off to school were the ones who suffered from it.
1: Yeah, basically you get shipped off somewhere and you yearn for the place that you liked better. Right. Uh, which is called just... Homesickness. Homesickness, right?
0: But the two different things. But but not until the the eighties even um, did it begin to get separated.
1: Yeah, and this article points out very astutely. I thought this one was pretty good. Yeah, um, that homesickness. This is a Julia Layton joint. Yeah, she's been around. House stuff works for a while. Mm -hmm. She's a vet, Uh, not a veterinarian, (laughs) or or a veteran (laughs) soldier. Um, Although I don't know Julia. She might be
0: both. Yes, you could have you never know. served the uh MP dogs as a vet in the army. In the army.
1: Um homesickness, Julia points out, is distressing, which makes a lot of sense. And that's different from nostalgia because nostalgia generally is even though it is complex, uh and we'll get to all that, it is generally looked at as a feeling of uh, like pleasant feelings watch over you when you think yeah. of the good old days
0: in direct contradiction
1: to (laughs) Hodgman's wacky ideas. (laughs) Um, all right. So let's talk about it. Okay. So, um,
0: since it it was up until again, the late 1980s viewed as basically a, an attendant symptom or somehow tied into depression or some other psychological malady, um, it, it, it wasn't until very recently that the social sciences started to say, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Let's look into it. So the actual study of nostalgia itself is extremely new, and um, it's still very much under study, which is to say that the social sciences has not yielded any kind of definitive answer as to, what nostalgia is, where it comes from, the there seems to be a general consensus that it is an emotion, Yeah. but it's a complex secondary emotion, meaning it's not anger, it's not fear, it's not joy, but it seems to be secondary, and it seems to spring from um, society in the same way that a right. secondary emotion like embarrassment or self-consciousness um, has arisen from our experience in society. Nostalgia seems to have come... In the same way,
1: yeah, and they've noticed some uh, trends, which is about as good as you can do when you're studying something like nostalgia. And when we talk about some of these real studies, it's they're frustrating for me to read, but we'll, we'll get to those. But uh, some of the trends, if you are a worry wart, uh, you might be a little more prone to nostalgize, uh, because you know you're you're trying to escape your worries and think about like a happier time when you're right. on the beach, toes in the sand, maybe. Yeah uh and they experts think that if you are in transitional periods of your life uh you're going to be more prone like if you're a, a kid growing into an adult or if you are in your 40s and 50s and you're transitioning into uh well, let's say 50s or 60s well from I'm in my 40s
0: from middle age into senior adulthood
1: yeah these transitional big transitions in your life you might might be a little more prone to sort of look at your life and think cuz what have i done with my life is also tied to nostalgia,
0: And that makes sense utterly and completely because what they found with nostalgia is that it's a, it's like you said, it's a means of escapism. And during these times where you're going from adolescence into young adulthood, um, or middle aged into old adulthood, you, th- that's a, that's a place of fear. Yeah. You know, what's sure. coming next? Yeah. And you start thinking about the good times that you've had, um, Almost involuntarily, it seems like nostalgia happens. It's yeah, not like you're you certain. Think, hmm. Yeah. I, let me. Uh. I'm. I'm a little nervous right now. Let me nostalgize. It, it. It's almost like an involuntary mental trigger that takes place.
1: Although that is a thing. Uh, Julia points out that, um, people can use it almost like a bag of tricks if they are prone to depression. Yeah. To call upon these things, and it's like n- nostalgia can be a tool. I mean you'd have to kind of conjure it up. Sure, no, no, I know you can. You know. But you don't
0: necessarily that's not necessarily how it happens. And and they found that there are plenty of things that trigger it. Like music, um like smells, uh di- different things that you that basically serve as mnemonic devices in the formation of emotional memories. Um and the the thing that's come up from the study that has been done on nostalgia is that it seems to be universal it's not culturally bound and the triggers that trigger nostalgia are also universal. So yeah. it'll be like a social, a memory of a social experience with friends and family. Sure. You know, and like that might be culturally bound like Thanksgiving here right. in America yeah. or Canada where they have fake Thanksgiving a month early. <laughs> um. But then it might be uh, Carnival down in Buenos Aires or something like that. So the the actual experience might be culturally bound, but the Trigger itself, having a good time at yeah. like a, a holiday, is universal.
1: Yeah. So let's take a break. Uh, we'll come back and talk about Triggers more after this, and we'll let Hodgman take a deep breath and maybe run around the block because I sense he's getting angry. <laughs> So,
0: we're back. Yeah, we are. Uh, we had to establish that because I got confused.
1: You mentioned music uh, being a, a trigger that is very powerful. Um, so powerful. And again, it's it's variant among people's individual experience. But music, for me, I did a lot of thinking about this, is a huge nostalgia trigger. But I think I realize that almost 100% of the time, it's a song that I haven't heard for a long, long time. So if I hear Jay Giles' band's Centerfold... Boo! ...great song. Boo. ...reminds me of elementary school in a very powerful way and even specific things, but I've heard that song a gazillion times. I hear it once a week on classic rock radio.
0: Oh, so, so it doesn't flood you with nostalgia. No, no, no more. You've heard it too much. It's overused. Right,
1: but if I hear a song from... Like, all of my CDs are packed up in the attic, and most of those are from, like, a certain period of my life where I bought CDs.
0: So if you hear True Blue, you just start weeping like not a Not True
1: Blue. More recent than that. But if I hear a song from, like, one of my CDs from the mid-'90s that I just may not have heard in a long time, that is, like, super, super powerful.
0: Well, like, what song? What oh, I don't know. Song?
1: Just, like, a song from my L.A. days, maybe. Okay. Um or or just something I don't listen like uh, something from college that I don't listen to anymore uh-huh. and it's like never played on the radio like I'll hear Urban Dance Squad Deeper Shade of Soul uh... Deeper Shade of Soul remember no oh, they yeah, were that big.
0: sounds like a pretty nineties song though
1: yeah it was very nineties and like you never hear that song anymore sure so if I hear that song. Like, just now, I just sang a little bit of it. How how are you feeling right it, now? It, I'm feeling great. I'm not, I'm not feeling That's toxic. Good. Hodgman's mad at you right now. I know. It feels wonderful, stop, John. Stop, stop. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I don't want to go back in time to then, either. I'm just remembering, like, man, what a great song. That takes me back to college. Yeah, and, and the reason why
0: songs tend to be so powerful and potent, um, especially from a certain age, uh, typically adolescence, right? supposedly has to do with the the way that the brain is working right then. You know, everyone says teenagers have like raging hormones going on. Sure. Well, there is a lot more brain chemistry floating around than ha- happens throughout the rest of your life. Yeah. So it's easier to form very powerful emotional memories. Um, and when when you're listening to music at that age, so that when you go back and listen to it, it's basically going back into your card catalog of a brain and- unlocking that emotional memory so you get to experience it a little bit again. Yeah. And then that's nostalgia brought on for, by music. Yeah, that makes sense. For me, the one that gets me the most is scent.
1: Yeah, scent and taste for me are really powerful too.
0: So like um, the smell of um, Pillsbury cinnamon rolls and orange rolls uh-huh. is like Christmas age
1: eight. Wow. Like every time. Now, it's, do you ever eat that stuff now? I as, just did yesterday. As a little trip down memory lane? Yes. Well, not as it, you know? Yeah.
0: But it, it, it
1: inevitably
0: brought it on.
1: Okay. So you didn't say like, I'm doing a nostalgia podcast, I'm going to go get some of those sweet rolls.
0: No. It okay. was totally coincidental, actually. Like the animal spirits.
1: Yeah. What I've been doing lately is seeking out things that I haven't had in forever just to see what happens.
0: Oh, yeah. So so basically, you're like- I like a Slurpee um, the other day. You're like uh, Strange Days- <laughs> Remember that movie with uh, Ray Fiennes?
1: Yeah, boy, that takes me back.
0: But with yeah, (laughs) but with nostalgia. How what what flavor Slurpee?
1: Uh, I did the same I always did. I mixed cherry and Coke. Oh, nice. And I haven't had a Slurpee since probably like high school. Mm -hmm. And it was it you know that taste was so familiar, and exactly how I remember. But it wasn't like oh this takes me back to those days. Just like oh this is interesting. I, I ate a circus peanut the other day. Oh, gross! No, they're awful. But I haven't had one since I was probably ten. I've avoided those my whole life. Yeah, and um, th- those, you know, those uh, the other one that gets me are those. Uh, remember when you were a kid trick or treating, and you would get those kind of chewy peanut butter <laughs> treats and the, wa- the waxy <laughs> yeah. wrappers. Yeah, I don't remember what they're called. That there were no name, like, but no, there is a name,
0: them. and like fifty people are going to email. Oh, me really?
1: Sure. Yeah, it's got to be that orange or I black exactly wax wrapper. Mean. Like yeah. those, man, instant nostalgia. Yeah. Nice. Not toxic. Yeah. It's wonderful.
0: Um, peanut Butter Twix can do that for me. That was one of my first favorite candy bars. I
1: thought you were about to say, like, it takes me back to 2008.
0: <laughs> no, they had Peanut Butter Twix in the 80s. They tried it for a little yeah, while. Yeah, they were and awesome. stopped.
1: Yeah, they don't have those anymore, do they? No, now it's back. Oh, it is? Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that one in your pocket?
0: <laughs> it's
1: one tucked <laughs> into my cheek right now. So uh, taste, uh, they think, induces in nostalgia pretty heavily because... Uh the pathways carrying information from taste buds uh, are in the limbic system, yeah, and which is where scent is as well.
0: Yeah, and your olfactory bulb is super-duper in the limbic system, and it's actually got a direct connection to the amygdala, which um, helps uh, experience emotions. And um what's the other component of the limbic system? The hippocampus? Yeah, the hippocampus, which sorts and stores memory. So your olfactory bulb itself is... Almost literally plugged in to the two components of your brain that form emotional memories, which is one reason why scent uh, can trigger nostalgia so powerfully, too.
1: Yeah, does that? I wondered if that means that if it's more immediate, then it's stronger. Like if it's just a quicker link, maybe. Like literally, the pathway is shorter.
0: Right, could be interesting. That I—I I mean, that's that's what Layton um, supposed.
1: Yeah, I don't think she. Uh, pull that out of her head i think that's the common belief right for something that they don't understand that much
0: yeah and i that i think that's probably got to be coming through to dear listeners right that oh, I like think they know. this is like this is <laughs> there's a lot of grasping at threads going on in part because it is just very um it's very early on in the study of nostalgia there's not a lot of people studying it and so the number of theories is kind of narrow But a lot of it does make sense.
1: Yeah. And when you look at these studies, which we'll talk about, so many of them hinge on, you're feeling nostalgic? All right, let's do something to you. Right. Or you're not feeling nostalgic? Yeah. Let's do the same thing to you. Yeah. Which, I mean, uh, this is a very tough study to pull off.
0: It totally is. And that's a big problem that the social sciences run up against is like they are studying subjective reports. Well, the average person can't tell you how they're feeling even when they sit there and think about how they're feeling. Yeah. So there are standardized standardized questionnaires that have become accepted in the field that yeah. that say this scores a person's like um like feeling of nostalgia. There's actually a questionnaire that that is designed to rate how nostalgic you are at the time you take it. Um and and there's there are ways to study. It's not just totally willy nilly. But when you compare it to something, say like um, biology or something like that, it's, yeah. it's a little, it's it's slightly
1: wispier. Agreed. Um, should we take a wispy break? Yeah. And talk about some of these studies after this. Yes. All right, buddy, we uh, teased on some studies, uh, and I don't want to say I made fun of them, but they're, they're just...
0: I think you pointed out some of their flaws. inherent
1: flaws. Sure. So let's talk about them. Um, here is one where they had subjects read uh, about different things. One was a tsunami disaster. One was like one bad thing, two good things. One was a disaster. One was the successful landing of a space probe. Uh Another one was the birth of a polar bear in a zoo.
0: Which, I mean, depending on...
1: Like that right there. You might hate polar bears. You might hate zoos. (laughs) Yeah. You know? That's a good point. Uh, Yeah, it's a real good point, actually. They probably shouldn't use that. No.
0: And it's a problem with any kind of standardized questionnaire, whether it's the SAT or the um, standardized questionnaire for nostalgia.
1: Totally. Uh, So after reading these, they answered questions assessing their current levels of nostalgia. What they found was the people who read about the tsunami were the most nostalgic, which led them to believe that people call upon nostalgia when they're not feeling good about something. Right. They use it.
0: That is the prevailing predominant theory of nostalgia these days, that it is a – um, it is you can do it voluntarily, but it's basically an involuntary – defense mechanism when we experience what's called discontinuity. And discontinuity comes in many forms, but all of it amounts to a reminder that we are going to eventually die one day. And it, th- that thought can come in all sorts of different forms. It can come when uh, we have a relationship that's breaking down, when we're far away from our social network. We w- There are any number of ways that we're reminded of our own mortality, right? Yeah. And one of our big defense mechanisms is growing nostalgic. And uh, it's basically built-in suicide prevention because it makes you wonder, like, if we didn't have a way to get back on track, like, through nostalgia. Yeah. And you just, like, entered a period of discontinuity and never got back to you know, life's good again, Yeah. where would we be as a species? Who knows? So nostalgia seems to be some sort of evolutionary trick where um, when we look into the void and think, oh God, I'm going to die or my life is meaningless or whatever, yeah. we experience nostalgia and it has this incredible flood of beneficial um, effects on the person who's feeling nostalgic.
1: Yeah, I thought this one article was pretty great when they were talking about discontinuity. They referenced uh, sweet Judy Blue Eyes by Crosby, Stills, Nash, and I think Young, right? Like I know. You know the song. No. Very popular.
0: Can you sing it like an Urban Dance Squad song?
1: No. Come on. You know sweet Judy I Blue Eyes. I swear I don't. Yeah, If you have heard any Crosby, Stills, and Nash song, you've heard this one. It's very, very famous.
0: Uh, I'm thinking Bob Seger right now. <laughs> is, it Bob, is it the Bob Seger song is what you mean?
1: Uh, no. But here's a line by Stephen Stills. Don't let the past remind us of what we are not now.
0: Right. That's, again, Hodgman's critis- Hodgman's not alone in his criticism. Yeah. That, that it, it seems like uh, nostalgia could lead you down this road where you're, you're just like, oh, the past is so much better than the present. But apparently from study of nostalgia, it does the exact opposite. It affirms the meaning of your life. It reminds you that you are loved um, now, here and now. And it gets you back on track after a, um, an experience of discontinuity, which right. is
1: bizarre. I'm going to sing a little bit of it. Okay. <laughs> you know, uh I am yours, you are mine, we are what we are, mm-hmm. what have we got to lose? Right. That's that song. I got gotcha. you. That's Don't a good let, song. Yeah, See, it's a great song. It's better than the Bob Seger <laughs> song, I think. There is no good Bob Seger song. That's not true. Name one. Uh... Old time rock and roll. No, terrible, worst song ever. Turn the page. Awful. Like a rock. Awful. Catmandu. Kill me.
0: There's one though that's not bad. I think we've had this conversation before.
1: I, I think I've been on record as being a big Bob Seeger hater. I'm not big on him either. But there's there's at least one or two. Oh, you'd love him. You want to <laughs> get married to him? <laughs>
0: All right. It's enough about me and Bob Seeger.
1: Yeah. See, you got uncomfortable.
0: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. So. I'm having a moment of discontinuity.
1: Yeah, we were talking about uh, the studies, right? Well, I think what we were
0: saying was that if you look at nostalgia from the the way that Hodgman looks at it, which makes sense, um, you would think, well, nostalgia is a bad thing. When, in fact, studies – have shown that nostalgia actually gets you back on track when you're feeling like, oh, God, I'm going to die one day, or oh, I'm not loved, or whatever. Rather than getting stuck in reminiscing about how great the past was compared to the present, it reaffirms that the present's pretty great.
1: Yeah, they said, uh, and we always say they, like, it's sort of an ambiguous body of people I know. Who Sometimes we
0: get called out by people who are paying attention. Yeah, who is
1: they? Uh, researchers of nostalgia say. (laughs) Yeah, they. That, um, positive mental states include, um, higher self-esteem, more socially connected, more generous, more altruistic, Mm -hmm. more optimistic, uh, worry less about the future and death. Yep. That
0: that makes it a part of terror management theory, which we actually did a a really cool episode on. Oh, yeah. It was one of those sleepers, you know, that probably not a a lot of people listen to, but it was awesome.
1: Yeah, and uh they did some other studies and this to me is really interesting. Um in China, uh was one study and elsewhere they have determined that nostalgic feelings might literally make you warmer. Right. Like physically warmer. Yeah. And when I said the warm thing washes over you, mm-hmm. they think it might have played a role in evolution to like when you're colder, And you think of these thoughts, you get warmer.
0: Yeah. um, uh, From this study in China, um, they they found that the study participants were, when they were cold and they were nostalgizing, they were imagining themselves or they were remembering an experience in a warm place. Right. And apparently it had the effect of making them feel physically warmer.
1: Yeah, and less susceptible to the pain of extreme cold. And another study that had nostalgic and non-nostalgic subjects hold their hands in 39 degree Fahrenheit water until they couldn't take it anymore. And if you were feeling nostalgic, you could hold your hand in there longer. <laughs> so that proves that it warms you up, right? Right. Not really.
0: But it's interesting. It is interesting. All of this is pretty interesting. And there is, there is supposedly a, a point where nostalgia can become harmful to you. It's called pathological nostalgia. Um, where you basically do get locked into the idea that everything used to be better back in the day or whenever at some other point. Yeah. But it's, um, rare compared to regular, what's called personal nostalgia, which is all the nostalgia we've been talking about. And then there's this social
1: nostalgia too, right? Yeah. Where, like when you didn't even live through it.
0: Yeah. Where, um, you know, like 17-year-olds today wearing, like, a Nirvana T-shirt or a Misfits T-shirt or something like that or being into that music or thinking, like, how great the 90s were. And it's like, dude, yeah, we lived through the 90s. They were not great. But it's the same thing. Like, I love 80s stuff. Sure. I lived through the 80s, but um, I remember thinking the 80s sucked. And then, you know, as an older person, when the 80s came back, I'm like, yeah, the 80s were pretty fun.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of accompanied sometimes, too, by this feeling of, like, I was born in the wrong time. Right, Like, man, I would have been a great hippie in the 60s, and I just don't fit in here in the 90s.
0: Sure. Like, personally, I think the 70s were probably the greatest decade of all time. Oh, yeah? But that's ignoring the fact that, like, Richard Nixon was president. There was an oil embargo. There's all this right. bad stuff. Whereas I'm just thinking, like, dazed and confused type 70s where everything was just great and happy and loose, right. you know, and laid back.
1: Sure. Agreed. And that's
0: nostalgia. It washes out the negative for everyone but you.
1: Yeah, I would say Richard Linklater is one of the more nostalgic filmmakers out there. Sure. He really plays on that.
0: Yeah, supposedly his new movie that's coming out is going to be awesome. Everybody wants some? Is that what it is? Yeah. So it's like Days and Confused like four or five years later, right? Yeah, he,
1: he said it's sort of like a spiritual sequel, like not the same characters, but, um, just sort of 1980, that right. advent of when things were transferring Man, to th- disco from, uh, yeah, it's going to be awesome. He's the best.
0: That was a great movie, Dazed and
1: Confused. Uh, agreed. Um, so the other thing that they found is that, uh, they did a study. Uh, Clay Routledge of North Dakota State did a study. There, there, specifically a they with a name. Yeah, a real guy. So complain to him. Uh, he did a, a series of experiments with English, Dutch, and American adults. So he kind of had some different nationalities going on. It's not exclusively American, of course. He let them listen to hit songs from their youth. And uh, read lyrics. And afterward, people said uh, they were more than likely uh, to feel loved and that life is worth living. (laughs) So (laughs) more affirmation when they remember these good old days. Yeah. Question 28. Do you feel life is worth living? Check yes or no. (laughs) Uh, And finally, I got one more thing. Um, They say, well, they do recommend that you not fall into that trap of.
0: Pathological
1: nostalgia? Yeah, of comparing the present to the past so much. Uh, and they also found that certain kinds of people aren't as great with nostalgia. So maybe you should not indulge in nostalgia if you're leery of intimate relationships they found or you're an avoidant person. Mm-hmm. Uh, it says they have uh, reaped smaller benefits from nostalgia compared with people who crave closeness. So I don't know what that says about Hodgman, huh, but uh let's <laughs> throw that out there.
0: So uh what's your number one nostalgia thing? What gets it for you more than anything else? Probably music. I got two things that are tied for first. Okay. The smell of a used bookstore or comic book shop, that smell of like that, yeah. I guess, rotting paper. Yeah. Uh, reminds me of Mad Magazines from back in the day. <laughs> oh, I and so they love them. The fat Christmas lights. Oh, yeah, the big. Uh, I I could just faint from the nostalgia.
1: Yeah, they're like they were the big tacky ones that are coming back now.
0: That's all my family ever used was yeah. the big fat ones. Yeah. It was like more Christmas light.
1: You know, what you call those tree burners.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we never caught a tree on fire, but yeah, they get pretty hot.
1: You know what my dad did for a few years is, as mm-hmm. we were opening our gifts toward the end, he would start dismantling the uh, tree mm-hmm. and. Pruning the limbs and putting them in the fireplace. He would literally burn the Christmas tree on Christmas morning. <laughs> that's very uh, <laughs> wow. That's very efficient. Was he German? One way look at it. Uh, no.
0: Uh, I should say, is he?
1: He is not. Okay. And I wish I would have given you a specific nostalgic thing, but um, you did urban dance squad. Nah, just music in general. <laughs> Taste, smell, music. Gotcha. Nice. Put those three together and look out. <laughs> Chuck's eyes roll <laughs> back into
0: his head. And Hodgman claps over him and says, Get up! Uh, if you want to know more about nostalgia, you can type that word into the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And I said search bar, so it's time for listener mail.
1: Uh, this is from Christina about the makeup episode. Who points out some good things, I think. Uh, hey guys, I have to weigh in on how makeup works. I think you uh, failed to adequately acknowledge something... Uh, We are not, in fact, at a stage where makeup is truly optional uh, for women.
0: And I think... We said that, basically. Did we? Yeah, at the end.
1: Well, I think we said, like, it should be your option, but I think she doesn't feel like it truly is an
0: option. Right, no, we said that. We said, like, the the very fact that there was, like, you know... taking a picture of yourself and posting it on Twitter without makeup was rebellious says that it's still not really an option. We said that.
1: All right, so forget it, Christina. We're not reading this. Right, yeah. (laughs) No, we're going to read it. Uh, While many love wearing makeup, many women simply feel obliged to wear it and are, in fact, penalized if they choose not to. Uh, It comes in the form of failing to be promoted, maybe, or taking seriously, getting raises, even being hired. It is a hugely expensive habit, too, especially if you like to buy the prestige makeup brands
0: Oh nice. Yeah. Call out. Uh
1: so she recommended that people read an article from the Atlantic, which is always a good recommendation, called The Makeup Tax. And it kind of sums up the problem like this. Women invest time and money into doing their makeup because it impacts their relationships and their paychecks. While both genders tend to buy haircuts, shaving cream and moisturizer, the price of makeup is something men never have to worry about. Yeah. And uh then she goes on to point on uh, point out just how expensive the, the gap is uh, between, like, a man's haircut and a woman's haircut, even. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, it's huge. Well, it depends on where you go. Yeah, but, I mean, if you're a woman that goes to a, like a, you know, not super cuts.
0: Right. It depends on where the man goes, though, too.
1: If you go to a salon and you get, like, a cut in color as a woman, you're paying, like, several hundred dollars. Sure.
0: But that's the color jacking it up. Yeah, it's both. I don't mean to be contrary. That's, yes, I agree They, with, they pay uh, a lot like, more money, trust is me. Is it Christina?
1: Yeah, I go to uh, Great Clips. Big shout out to Great Clips. Nice. There's a free <laughs> cut in your future. So Christina says, uh, yeah, after my 10th cut. <laughs> Do gotta, you have the card? No, not a card, but they give you a receipt every now and then that says, like, 15% off your $8 nice. haircut. Which amounts to $8. It's actually more than that. It's like 14 or 15 But remember in tipping, it's 14 I give them 20 and you were like, what? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, so, Christina... she got me all over again. <laughs> she finishes up with, I look forward to a day when wearing makeup is really, truly a choice for anyone of any gender and both individuals and institutions. Respect those choices. In the meantime, I choose to save my pennies and stick it to the man by not buying makeup and normalizing my own bare face. Good for you. Uh, and Christina is a California native listening in Dublin, Ireland. Nice. Ahoy, as they say in Ireland. Did they say that? Yeah, All right. We'll find out,
0: I think. I hope. Uh, thanks a lot, Christina. All points agreed. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Christina did, whether you're in Dublin or uh, Los Angeles or wherever, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash know. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com.